and welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, listed in 2020 as number eight of 42 best podcasts for every sales professional. I am your host, Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert and author of Business Evolution, Creating Growth in a Rapidly Changing World. I created Scale Your Sales Framework to develop leading edge capabilities to secure, retain and grow key customer relationships for long-term value and partnership. Join me each week to learn from amazing B2B sales and business experts and influencers. Tune in for actionable insights and strategies. Are you ready to scale your sales? My next guest is the VP of Revenue Enablement in Juniper Network. Beyond being a seasoned technology executive, she is a dedicated mother, global speaker and author of Embrace Your Edge, Pave Your Own Path as an Immigrant Woman in the Workplace. Nicknamed Black Ops, interesting, hand inspires evolution, unhindered by this status quo. Welcome to Scale Yourselves podcast, Han Black. Hi, Janice. So good to be here with you. It's lovely to have you. Now, my first bit of curiosity, why Black Ops? Well, I had been a consultant for a couple of years. I consulted for about 30, 40 different companies, anything sales and marketing, sales ops, marketing ops, field marketing, sales enablement. And what my clients loved about me is before I started fixing things, I would lay everything on the table, kind of understand how the patient is sick, why they're sick, what do I need to replace, what do I need to fix, and what's good to go. So when I did go to attack the problem, they were like, you are so precise in what you do. It's like you're a team of 20 people, you come in like a hurricane and you leave. And so because of my last name and how operationally minded I can be, I was nicknamed Black Ops, which which is fine with me. I'm happy for it. My father was a lieutenant colonel in the Vietnamese army. So I have a deep respect for military. I mean, I love it because you're like a ninja, aren't you? That's what I had in my mind, you know, no messing around as well, you know, kind of stuff. So I love it. I I do. It's a really kind of strong image that that it gives. Um, But I really want to talk about your your book because so much of, of what you say in here resonates with Um, what I often talk about on the podcast, you know, diversity in sales and the impetus that I have to make sure that I get at least 50% um, female and ethnic minorities because we need to hear their their voice. We need to be talking about this subject. And so, you know, you've you've reached such great heights and had such a variety. And I learned today an incredible backstory. So I really want to talk about your book, Embrace Your Edge. It's a fabulous title. Um, But I I really liked uh, some of your, um, the chapter titles in in your book uh, as well. And I always find them interesting when you you go through books. It's got to be something that that really entices you. So give me... um, a bit of information about, you know, how you came to to write the book, um, what your intention was. Well, the intention of my book is to make the path easier for everyone behind me because it was much more ridiculously harder for me than it should have been. And there was a point in my career where I literally got laid off three times within seven years, picked up again within 24 hours 
but it's detrimental to the soul, as you can imagine. And I was always replaced, never for talent, never for performance, but for reorganization. And I was always replaced by a part of the majority population who was subsequently fired or moved on one or two years later because they weren't as good as I was in the first place in comparison. So why does this happen? There are a lot of unconscious biases out there. I do believe in general that people have positive intent. However, what we have to bring awareness to is unconscious bias in the environment, but also within ourselves. Even minorities look back and judge other minorities. And it's really important to have these really real conversations. How do we support, how do we expect support from our allies if we don't support each other? So I wrote the book so that we can celebrate our differences, bring awareness to it, but then come together in solidarity. It's really um, interesting that, you know, we, we can't always point the finger at other people unless we point it at ourselves first and really look and at what our own biases are. And so much of it is that we borrow from our parents, you know, our environment and all of that. And it's not that it's good or bad, it's being aware. That's the most crucial thing. First of all, being aware that you do have a bias and some of them you're okay with. That's part yeah. of you. Others you need, you can't change unless you are um, aware of them. Um, and so, yeah, what I found it really interesting when I looked at your chapters, Surrender to the Suck was one that I, I loved and Pick Your Poison. And so I was really intrigued, you know, tell me more about how you came to choose your, your titles and, and what that meant. Um, it's funny, I knew exactly that you were going to pull out those two chapters. Um, they were the fastest for me to write and the most painful for me to write. Surrender to the Suck, you know, again, the early part of my career was amazing. Then I had a flat to de declining part of my career. And what I tell people is the last part of my career, this latest bit has only been six years. So I basically rebooted my career at the age of 43. So it is possible. Now, talking about surrender to the suck, what happened during that time, I had babies and you can imagine what happens to a woman's career when she has children. People don't think you can work from home and, you know, it is funny when people say that I look at back at COVID now and I say, I don't want to be that person that says, I told you so, but I told you so. <laughs> um, during that seven year period, my, I lost my father and I had a very deep conversation with him that I should have had decades before. I had the three layoffs, which we already mentioned. I moved across the country. I had, I got divorced and with the divorce, I moved six times within seven years in order to come to the Bay Area, because I knew that's what it would take. That's the tenacity it would take in order to accelerate my career. Then at the end of the seven years, I got laid off for the third time, the same following the weekend where my mother passed. And at that point, you know, I had just worked myself so hard because when we believe in meritocracy, as many of do, us do, um, many minorities, many immigrants um, do, and you stop accelerating, then you think the problem is me, mm -hmm. right? So I just worked harder. I took all the coaching, you know, everything that taught me to become a white man, and it didn't work for me. I ended up in the ER 
not once, but twice. Wow. With that experience, you learn to let go and you learn to surrender to the suck because you can keep letting it suck or you can change something. So what I changed was my attitude around controlling what I can't, influencing what I can, and knowing when to let go of good to make room for great. And the biggest issue was learning how to influence what I can't and figuring out that line. And once I once I've surpassed that, then I know now I'm pretty good at reading when the situation is toxic or not. And if it is, then I leave and go to something better. So those are lessons that if you think about it in the business world, this is why we need cognitive diversity, because diversity is not just what we can see on the outside. Clearly, I am a female and a person of color, but my book specifically targets immigrants because immigrants come in all different shapes and sizes. It allows me to embrace my white sisters. It allows me to embrace the men in the workplace as well. But it goes all back to having that cognitive diversity and that vulnerability to look around corners to see what you don't see. Because when you look through another lens, it changes what you have the ability to see. I think it's oh, gosh, so much to talk about. Um, I think it's really interesting what you say um, about recognizing bias. But actually, when we recognize bias, you know, the fact that you were laid off and then lesser skilled people were put in place and then, you know, we knew where that was going to go. Um, but it doesn't just happen once in a career. And a lot of people listening to this, you know, especially if they're women and especially if they're ethnic minorities will recognize this because it's happened to them. Um, there's a certain amount of unfairness and things that you, you can, can't control. But when it continues to happen, when you say influencing what you can't, uh, you know, it's how, I mean, how do you get past that? That it's what would feel like a brick wall and, and that you, to stop yourself getting really despondent. Mm -hmm. How does that happen? Well, you know, I start my book off with, let me tell you the good, bad, and the ugly. The good is in general, people have good intent. The good is if you were following me or we're having this conversation, at least we're having a conversation. The bad, life is unfair. Life is really unfair. And the ugly, the formulas for success out there do not work for you. That is the truth. Now, once you realize those truths, I have to go back to the good again because I don't like ending on a bad note. You have control over that. You have control over what you can influence. And what do I mean by that? Again, because a lot of us believe in meritocracy, what do we think? Sit down, shut up, don't rock the boat, just be really good at what you do. What have I told you? You actually have to work on networking and brand. When I heard that, I heard that coaching for years and I dismissed it. I'm just going to keep doing what I would do. I'm just going to keep working hard and doing well. You are not going to get to the next level. You can be that stubborn. You know, I thought I could be stubborn because I was that good. And in truth, I was that arrogant. If you don't, you, the, the beauty of the internet and the reason I think that life has changed for the better in the last 10 years 
And the use of social platforms has democratized access. So I can create a platform and I have learned to network and brand with authenticity. The reason that networking and branding has such a bad rap is the way we're taught to do it. Walk into a room, shake hands with someone, give them a pitch. And before you're done with your pitch, you're already looking at, over your shoulder at the next person you want to talk to. But what if you're really interested in that person? What if you really pay attention to the human that they are? Just like you would get to know a friend at a cocktail party. Then you can really become helpful to them and offer without an expectation to receive. But once a person does give you an offer because they like you, they're interested in you too, then learn to receive rather than being so arrogant enough to say, I don't need networking and branding. So those are things that we can do. How do we do that? Go to conferences, ask good questions. Um, when people give opportunities to provide you access, know when to raise your hand and accept it. That's really, really important. For the longest time, I was honestly either too arrogant or too blind to learn how to receive. Um, that being said, for those of us who are in minority populations, and some of us are in double, triple minority situations, um, we don't know how to see it. So make sure you're make sure you're uh, you're looking for allies and sponsors all the time. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter where we are across which water, you know, there are so many experiences that, you know, you have that I completely resonate with and a lot of people listening to this world too. But there's an experience that you have had that will be out of this world to other people. And I'm going to put the, um, the link of it in here and it talks a lot about your crossing continents to you know with your your family and growing up um but you know tell me how that has informed the way you are now your core values and your character well i would say the immigrant story that first generation and second generation people will really resonate with is a story of tenacity so for me it's very insulting to hear the divisive language that we have. And again, the worst part has been or when multi-generational people look down on, on newer immigrants, but it gives you a tenacity. People come, risk their life to come for a better life, risk their, their, their livelihood, their children, their environment, their country, their background, because they're looking for a hand up, not for a hand out. My personal journey, Saigon fell April 30th, 1975. My family left one day before on April 29th. We were literally sitting in international waters while we watched the bombs fall over the capital of our country. I went back and visited Vietnam. If we had not made that decision, we would have been stuck there for years and years. And my father being a high-ranking officer in the army, we would have gone to re-education at best or much worse fate. When I went back to Vietnam, I met people who told me they, they made a decision not to leave because they had a plantation or whatnot. And they said they have regretted that 15 minutes for over 30 years of their lives. So immigrants come with a tenacity. You will see a very big philosophy of mine is to always encourage evolution, not perfection. I don't want perfection to get in the way of better or good, but I do want to always continue to move the needle. And that's why. 
I'm so good at sales. That's why I'm so good at enablement because we're always looking around corners. We were planning on a virtual world before COVID happened. So when COVID happened, we were able to flip a switch and change all of our programs within three weeks because we were already preparing for it. Right now, while people are preparing for, oh, most people don't want to come back you know, in real life. I disagree with that. I think a large part of the population will over time, but it will take time. But there will be a lot of the population that will be allowed to that, that will want to stay home, which is okay. So I'm actually right now planning for a hyper hybrid world. So we will still maintain the good that we that we got out of this virtual situations pandemic that we were forced into, but we have to take those lemons and turn them into lemonade. So that's how my personal journey has really, you know, has really shaped how I think about life is taking the opportunities when you can and when you're in an adverse plane figure out how to make an opportunity out of it. Right. Okay. So what about creating access to um, power networks? How um, you talked about online, we it's provided us with the opportunity to access networks. How important is that as we move into a hybrid, hybrid world? Yeah. So you know, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. If you're for entrepreneurs, um, Instagram is fantastic. Some people are still using Facebook. Um, you know, we have an opportunity to be thought leaders. And if you look at, if you look at our screen here, Janice, you and I have equal amount of real estate. So what I encourage immigrants and, and women to do all the time is when you're in a hyper hybrid world, turn your camera on. You have access to voice. You have access. You have the same real estate as everybody else. You know, make sure you're you're showing up and speaking up. And same thing on a thought leadership platform like LinkedIn, which is extremely valuable. Don't just react with awesome, thank you. Actually engage with thoughtfulness, ask good questions, provide good feedback. And it can and 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 be an ally to other communities. Because allyship, honestly, is bi-directional, right? So I like to say that there is no room for improvement or evolution by privilege shaming or victim blaming. There's nothing wrong with privilege. It's how you use it. We have the privilege of access to these social networks. But guess what? Everyone does, too. The question is, how do you abuse it? Or how do you use it for good? Mm, yeah. And in every aspect of your life, I suppose you have that choice. You can either abuse it, that person, that thing, or you can, you know, use it for, for good for everyone, share it. So I, I like your three R's. Explain, you know, your three R's to me. How did that come about? Well, my three R's are reflect, recalibrate, reset. So reflection is thinking about where are you today? How did you get here? And what are you holding on to that has once served you, but no longer serves you? Because we hold ourselves accountable to ideals from, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, et cetera. And it may have worked for us for a period, but how do I move on to the next chapter? That's where recalibrate sets in. What am I shedding from my history? What, how am I going to move on? What are my new expectations? I don't have to be only as a woman. I don't have to be just a nurturing mother that gives up everything completely martyrish 
or become a high-ranking selfish executive, those are not my two choices. I can recalibrate. Where do I want to be? And by the way, that can change over time. You can keep choosing to reflect and recalibrate. Now, once you've recalibrated, then you have to reset. Oof, that's the hard part, isn't it? It is painful, but that's the difference between dreaming and activating and really owning the narrative of your life. People ask me, how often do you reflect, recalibrate, reset? At this point in my life, every damn day. (laughs) Every major decision, every minor decision. I'm really thoughtful about it rather than just reacting to what history would have told me. That's also why I'm known as a chief disruptor. Do you know what? I'm just, I want to be part of your team. I really do. I want to be in hand, a black ops team. <laughs> well, you know, I actually created a, 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 a little recruiting video for my sales team. Yeah. And it was all people on my team because we represent enablement. So we represent the broader sales team. I had to cut a bunch of people because I had too many women, too many French speakers, too many Spanish speakers, too many Vietnamese speakers, too many Portuguese speakers. At this point in my career, I am very actively conscious about recruiting white men to make sure that I have a complete 360 view. Ah, isn't that funny? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, that's good isn't it that's that's the way things should be really and not just uh, assume what the uh, the team will look like and and pepper in a few bits of diversity and color yeah I love it I love it but I wonder if that team would have built had you or someone that was conscious of uh, uh, and their filter was very much around diversity or already I wonder if you would have attracted so many ethnically um, and you know gender diverse audience had you not been who you are I can answer that for you absolutely not (laughs) diversity begets diversity you know people talk about people don't leave companies they leave managers I have a following you know people don't just join Juniper they join my team specifically. Yeah. I've had people take significant pay cuts to come work for me because they want a culture where they feel like they can succeed. And they know that if they perform in my team, they will be able to make it up over time. And absolutely, I will take care of them. I have a team of unicorns that I'm very, very proud of. Yeah, yeah, that's why I want to be part of your team. One of the problems of uh, diversity in, in sales is that we have and we have done for, I don't know, last 30 years, only had 17% of, of um, gen- and it's mainly gender rather than ethnically diverse, senior sales managers, 17%. And so, you know, you've just proved the point. As soon as you put more diverse people in senior leadership, then it, that filters down without really having to try too hard. That becomes part of your, your, your culture. Not only that, a lot of uh, senior leaders talk to me and saying, oh, we've tried, but we can't attract. What should we do? And it's like, well, just putting a senior leaders at the forefront that means that I'm going to feel comfortable applying because I feel that there'll be people that have my back. Uh, if the senior leadership team doesn't look like me, I can't empathize. It's really difficult for me to sign on the dotted line and say, I'm going to work for this company company so that's the difference that's what you need need to do um so let me ask you uh, about your um if your if you 
had to tried and tested strategy that you would offer listeners in order to enable them to scale their sales? What would it be? To scale their sales? Yeah. Um, well, I'm selfish. Um, I have a love of enablement because it's, for me, there's a part of it that's very much of a teacher leader. And of course, it's business minded. So I call enablement um, a very strategic part of the sales organization in that they're business minded teachers. So I'm all about making multipliers. The biggest thing I would say is make sure that all of everyone loves to think that they can do enablement. I would say make sure that you create one center of excellence under a leader so that we don't have random acts of enablement. Because if you think about it, in the enablement function is not just to create technical product training. It's to become a sales multiplier. Take the best DNA of all your best people and replicate it. You know, take your sales processes and, and tune it so that you have automation and an and, and exceptional um, ease of doing business. Because the best way to um, make it easy to do business for your customers is to make it easy for your sellers to sell. So I would say create a center of excellence and make sure that we have we have the executive C-suite sponsorship for that team. I think it's interesting that many, the way many organizations have gone and they've got the marketing function, they've got the sales function, then they have the enablement function separate, you know, and they're, they're all doing different things. It seems to me that what you're talking, the whole thing is enablement, is enabling customers and whatever fits underneath how you do that. So it's not just, it's not a function, it's, a, it's an overall view of the organization and sales actually fits underneath it as opposed to enablement fitting at the side of sales. Would you, would you agree with that? So enablement at one point would typically live under marketing or sales engineering. Um, and then at some point about five, six years ago, it got moved under sales operations. Now what I'm seeing is it is a peer to sales operations. So it would still sit under the CRO, but it's completely separate from the operational underlay, of, you know, the, the, the business and tooling underneath. But it does work well in sales because the best way to understand how the sales engine work is, works is to be in sales. Because I, I have a, nearly a decade under engineering. And when I was in engineering, I thought marketing and salespeople, they don't know what they're talking about. Leave it to us. Then I went, I had almost a decade in marketing. And when I was in marketing, I thought, you know, those engineering guys are just a bunch of propeller heads. You know, they, they're into their nerd knobs. And the salespeople, they don't know what they're talking about. But sitting under sales with the background that I have now with engineering and marketing, I've been nearly a decade in sales at this point. We are truly, we truly have the honor of representing the customer. So I do believe that that's the appropriate place for enablement to live directly under the CRO um, with, with completely a, a very singular view of making my stakeholder efficient and my stakeholder is the rest of the sales team. So, you know, out of our company, we're about 40% sales. Um, so I service 4,000 people and it's, to make them the best at their job as possible. Excellent, excellent. Okay, so who is your hero or shero? I have to say my parents, you know, you Janice now know my story, but and my parents are both generous 
um, community leaders in their own regard. My mother on the much more compassionate, softer side. My father much more on an activation side. I don't think I realized how much I loved him until I lost him. Yeah. And uh, I just want to make them proud. Well, I, I can't imagine you not. You're an incredible woman, absolutely incredible woman. And I, I have to get you on the podcast again because there's so much, um, you know, we haven't haven't covered. And I absolutely love talking to you. Besides the fact I'm going to be stalking you because I want to be <laughs> part of um, Black Ops. Um, but yeah, you're you're an incredible um, leader and have an amazing story. So I'm going to be sharing the video and all of the, the links um, to the book because there's so much more in the book that we could talk about. But I think because right. of your background, you have a unique perspective. And I really thank you for sharing that and educating us on what is really possible and what is possible is bigger. Uh, um, and, and better. So thank you very much. So how can listeners get hold of you? Well, the best way um, I've got, the best way is to follow me on LinkedIn. Yeah. And uh, so my LinkedIn handle is Hang With Hang, and I'll make it really easy for you. My website is www.hangwithhang.com. My Instagram is hang underscore with underscore hang. Even my license plate is hang with hang. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm making it very easy on the community. Um, and I'm working on I'm working on building that community on YouTube too. So coming soon, I do have a channel out there, but I have to have at least a hundred subscribers. So if you guys follow me, then I'll be able to create a hang with hang YouTube channel as well. Excellent, excellent. And I've got to leave with a um a phrase that comes from you that really resonated. You said, I can always walk through fire and typically emerge better. Wow, that is fantastic. Thank you so much for being a guest on Scale Yourselves podcast, Pam. Well, thank you for having me and uh, letting me share my story. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Scale Your Sales. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter, Janice B. Gordon, to comment and share. I'd love it if you would leave a review on ratethispodcast.com slash scale your sales. Please subscribe for more weekly expert insights to scale your sales.